Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, this is Lesson 7. We're starting into Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. Um, you know, we, we, we broached the subject because, because Solomon opened the door for us last week. Uh, we, we, we broached the subject of God being a part of all of this. Um, overall, if you, if you eliminate God, if you take God out of the equation based on all that Solomon has said so far... This is a pretty depressing book, pretty, pretty sad. Now, here's, here's why that's an important statement, y'all, because there are a ton of people out there trying to do this. They're trying to walk through this journey called life every day, and they're trying to do it without God. And the sad part about all of this that he said to me is this, this applies outside the doors of this room, that there are people who are going through life every day searching for whatever it is that fulfills them, and they're not finding it. It's not there, and they're not looking in the right place. They're choosing to try to be God in their lives instead of find God and add Him to their lives. Um, and it's a, sad, it's a sad, sad image. And he's going to return back today to the thought process of, you know, life without God is hopeless. Life without God is meaningless. Life without God has no point. Now, today is a passage that you've all heard before, even if you have never opened up your Scripture. Because in 1965, a group called the Birds, y'all all, y'all all know the Birds? They wrote a song called Turn, Turn, Turn. How many of you were, got, you were rock and roll heads back in the 60s, and that's all you listened to was rock and roll music in the 60s? Anybody? There you go. A few of you are honest enough to raise your hand. You've heard it. All right. So the song, Turn, 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 is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Every word in the song, except six, there are six words in the song that don't come from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So they had a hit on their hands. Somebody tell me, Clayton, you raised your hand. Did the birds have another hit in the 60s? They're one hit wonders, baby. One hit wonders. The birds. But you know what their hit was? They sang basically a Christian song. <laughs> they sang a scriptural song, and they took Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, they put it to music, and they sang it. Very popular song, very popular song. A few years back in the 80s, I remember there was a commercial, somebody made a commercial, and they took this song and used it. A very popular song, okay? It was probably popular because when people heard it, A, they recognized it, Okay, they, they'd heard those words somewhere before, so it stuck with them. But also, look, y'all, this message this morning resonates with us. It is a message that speaks to us and we understand clearly that there are seasons of life. There's good times, there's bad times. There's troubled times, there's prosperous times. And what we're going to see today in verses 1 through 8 are 14 comparisons 
Bible, the, 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 the word to, to actually describe them is called a merism, M-E-R-I-S-M. It's comparison between two opposite things, okay? Fourteen of these things today, which we're going to look at in depth, where he com- compares and he contrasts completely opposite things to show us that everything in life happens, you know, between life, between birth and death, between uh, planning and, and uprooting, between tearing and sowing, between all of those things. And the, the comparison means that everything, not only, just ha- not only do those two things just happen, but everything in between those two things are available to happen. All right, so these, these 14, 14 comparisons, so 28 things, 28 seasons of life that he's going to tell us today that we, we all experience, we all go through, okay? So we understand that he's, he's, now that he's mentioned God, we have this conversation, this, this, this list, this comparison, these 14 comparisons that are all common to man, okay? So now, as we go through these things, we just understand that they're part of life. And we even say it, right? Well, it's just part of life. <laughs> Y'all ever said that about anything? Well, that's just the way it goes. Just part of life, right? And it can, it can really apply to most any of the things that we're going to talk about today. Well, it's just, just the way it goes. Everybody's got to deal with it, right? So that's where we're going today. That's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, now each one of these things brings this tension that we feel in our lives, this, this battle between one end of the spectrum and the other. We, we, we experience it, we feel it happening in our lives. Now, there was a very interesting way to think about what Solomon has written today. And again, in the context of life without God, this makes perfect sense. Okay, so the, the commentary that I was studying from made this observation that each of these statements... And again, when you read them, the first one, a time to give birth and a time to die. Okay, in his essence, in his, he, he, he sums these up as math equations. Each one of them, 14 math equations. And if you start with one extreme and you add the other extreme, you get a sum total of zero. You start with birth and you have something, right? But then you add death and what do you have? Nothing, Right? So in his life, again, the context, without God, this, this, this math problem that he gives us is all of these things have a sum total of zero, which is interesting because what he's telling us is life without God is nothing, right? I thought that was, I thought that was pretty interesting and pretty fascinating. So we want to walk through this today. And again, we're going to read verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. The first eight are these comparisons and verses 9 and 10 are sort of a summation of, of what he said here, uh, asking questions to, to sort of answer the point. So let's read it together, and then we'll jump into the unpacking of Scripture this morning. All right, chapter 3, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes says, There is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. 
a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then in verse 9, he says, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. At verse 10, there was interesting because he basically says, I've observed every possible season of life. He says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. In other words, these 28 things that he has just told us about, that he has compared and contrasted, he tells us basically he's seen every one of those things. Now remember, you go back to chapter 1, you go back into the beginning of chapter 2, and Solomon tells you that he has literally attempted every possible scenario with which to fulfill his life. He's chased after jobs, he's chased after buildings, he's chased after women, he's chased after drink. He's ch- There's nothing that he hasn't tried. And his, 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 he's come to the conclusion that these are the 28 things which God has given to man to occupy his time. That's what he says in verse 10. Okay, So now, here are some things you need to know about this passage before we start to look at each of these things. Okay, Note, the first thing here, Solomon is only making this observation. As we walk through this chapter, as we walk through this comparison and contrasting statements this morning, Solomon's not giving you advice. He's not telling you how, he's not, he's not got a 12 step program for how to, how to avoid this, or a, a seven step program for how to stay in this season of life longer. There's no help, there's no advice, there's no teaching here other than here's, here's what's going to take place. All right, so that's interesting to me. Solomon doesn't remark on these things as either good or bad. He doesn't remark on them as either being wise or foolish. And he doesn't remark on them being either righteous or sinful. Why would he not say, you know, death is bad or killing is bad or some of these other things? And I came to the conclusion that every situation in different people's lives treats them different and helps them and they respond differently to it. The purpose for one thing in in your life and the the same thing in your life may have a different response and a different purpose. So he can't say definitively that everything, every time this happens, everyone responds the same way. And every time this happens, it's for the same purpose in everybody's lives because that's not how God works. God allows us to go through things to, do, to strengthen us and to teach us lessons, but He's not trying to strengthen us all in the same way, and He's not trying to teach us all the same lesson. Yet, we all still go through the same things, right? So, again, this is just an observation from Solomon. He's not telling you how to respond. He's not telling you that it's good. He's not telling you that anything about these things other than that they are going to happen. These seasons are going to take place in everybody's life. And as we read through that list, you went, yep, done that. Yep, done that. Yep, experienced that, right? Right, that's, 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 that's pretty natural there. Again, 14 pairs of opposites is the second point. The matching here is a way, and I said it already, but of saying that everything is mentioned here. And not only is everything mentioned, but it includes everything in between, right? So he, he mentions here birth and death. The intention that is everything is included in this statement includes all of life. 
So what he's doing here is he's painting a complete picture of reality that you and I are going to face. He's helping us. It's a word picture. He helps us see everything that is going to take take place. It's a full range of human experiences and all of the emotions and all of the things that go with it. And every one of us are going to experience these 28 things, these 14 comparisons. All right? So the first thing we see is it's, it's, he's only observing. The second thing we see is that all these things are opposites. And now the other thing, this is kind of important. Y'all may laugh when I say this, but this, this is really important. When he says there is a time for these things to happen, he's not giving you permission to do these things. Now there's several of those that are pretty specific on things that you should not do, even though he says there's a time for these things to happen. Just because he says that there is a time to kill... Like, I didn't need to tell you all that, right? He didn't say, like, y'all are not sitting there going, well, if there's a time for it, I might as well get my list ready. Right? Nobody's thinking that. When he says there's a time to throw stones, we don't, that's not permission. That doesn't even have anything to do, that's not really what that even means anyway. We're going to look at the context of that in just a minute. So I felt like we needed to get that out of the way this morning, that just some of these things, just because he says there's a time for them, does, he's not saying it's okay to go do them. He's just saying it's going to take place. Okay, so thou shalt still not kill. Okay, that's still, that's still a thing, right? All right, so now let's walk through in verses 1 through 8 these 14 pairs of contrasting seasons. And obviously the, the easiest one, the, the, the one that we need to jump into and probably the most important one is the first one. He says, and there's a time to give birth and a time to die. Now, this is, we've talked about this since we started in Ecclesiastes, and it seems morbid. It's coming. It's coming for you. It's coming for me. It's coming for all of us, okay? We were born. If you're here today, if you're listening to this thing out there in cyberspace somewhere, guess what? You have been born, okay? Shock, spoiler alert, right? It happened. And now, the next thing is we're living that life. We're, we're, we're actively living and going through the motions of life every day, but the next step for each and every one of us, should Jesus tarry, is that we all are going to die. It's real. It's part of life. As much as we hate to think about it, as much as we hate to talk about it, it is what is coming. It's the bookends of what he calls life under the sun, right? So we see both of these things are going on here. Every other season... Every other thing that he mentions in these next 13 takes place between number one and the end of it, right? Every one of these things that happens now, he mentions, happens between birth and death, right? So we have to start with this one, okay? We got that out of the way. The next one, he says that it is a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, okay? So now we understand that, (laughs) this sounds weird to say, and we, we, from our Sunday school lesson in Genesis on Sunday morning, we know we're not the same. But the life cycle for plants is kind of the same as it is for humans, right? Except they're planted, they're not born. But they're planted, and they, but they have, a, they have a season of life. They have a life cycle. And some of them bear fruit, some of them bear, uh, you know, they go through that. But at the end of them, they die. And, and the only thing that's left for them at that point is to be uprooted. Now, here, here's sort of why he mentions this. The in-between those two things is kind of what he wants us to think about here is that we've spent a lot of time 
between planning some of these things, we've watered them, we've put dirt on them, we've moved them around from place to place to try to make sure the sun is right or whatever, make sure they get the right amount of water, and at the end of the day, here they are. And, and the important thing is not that we planted it, not that we had to uproot it. The, the important thing here is all the time we spend and, 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 and put into it in the middle. Not that it's not important, not that it's not good, but no matter how much time you spend on some plants, all right, my, my, the, the worst to me are mums. This fall time thing, this, 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 this needless plan to have to have mums everywhere in the fall because they're so pretty, those are the hardest things in the history of mankind to keep alive. Has anybody ever kept a mom alive through the end of the fall season? I don't believe you. Yeah, okay, you, maybe if you plan it. They're all going to dry up. We have two still sitting on our back porch. They look absolutely horrible. They don't have to die, but they do. They do. Every one of them die. I've never, we've never, we buy them every year thinking this is the year, doggone it. Those things are going to live forever. And every single year they end up just like they are right now. They're on the back porch. They, they scorched in the sun or they flooded in the rain and they just, they look awful. And look, that's just, again, that's just symbolic of every other thing, right? It's symbolic of every other thing that's coming in life. The third thing he says, now this is interesting, okay? The third thing he says in verse 3, he starts, he says, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Some of us, that time to kill is when we buy those mums, right? Uh, those, those mums are not going to make it, okay? But now listen, what he's done here is he's not made you James Bond. I said it earlier, you don't have the right to kill. He's not given you a license to kill, right? You don't have that. But now what is he talking about when he says there is a time to kill, I, I think this is simple. He's not talking about us. He's not talking about we have the right to, to take our enemies out back and just get rid of them. That's not what he's talking about here. Most, most scholars believe he's referring to war. I mean, inside, inside of a war effort, it, it happens. It happens. I've known men, great, great men, whose testimony is that they served in war and they still suffer with the guilt of having taken another person's life, even in that setting, even in that situation. And I, I, can't, I can't imagine that. But here, he says, there's a time for it. I believe if somebody attacks you, doggone it, self-defense is a thing. And here, we see that. I believe that he's referring to capital punishment. I believe that that's my belief. I think Scripture speaks to that. But I think he's saying that those people who have taken lives and those people who have gone too far in the context of the law, it's even okay. I think he's even referring to animals. I think, and you hunters, hunters rejoice, right? I think he's talking about animals. You know, we just read and studied in Genesis on Sunday morning that he's given us dominion. He made us in his image, that we're the only thing that he created in his own image. Everything else he's given us dominion over. I don't think we should abuse that. I don't think we should just go out and shoot things for, for the, just for the heck of it. But now as, for, as far as eating for food and as far as thinning out the herd and all those things that hunters do, I think, that is, I think that's okay. I think that's perfectly within the realm of, of, of acceptability. 
I also read in my commentary the other day the story, uh, a guy, the guy that told the story was telling the story of a pastor who lived in Mississippi, was a pastor at a small church, and he had a deacon called him one day. And he, he said, I need you to come over here. He said, I've got this cow out back. He said, I, I, need, I need to put it down, uh, but I can't do it. I've, I've, I've fed it every day. I've, I've taken care of it. I've been nursing it. It's been sick for a while. I've been trying to get it back to health. And it's just to the point where I, I, I can't save its life anymore, but I can't do it. Can you come do it? So the pastor got in his car. Of all the things that you're not taught at seminary, okay, that's high on the list right there. He said he pulled and got in the car, drove over to this man's house, walked up on the porch. The man's standing there with a gun and said, he's over the hill, make it quick. So the pastor, again, just walking the whole time, probably thinking, how in the world did I get myself into this position, right? So he walks over the hill, and the guy on the porch, the old farmer on the porch, heard about nine gunshots. And the guy came back. The, guy, the farmer looked at him and said, what's wrong? He said, that cow wasn't nearly as sick as you thought it was. He said, that thing got up and jumped and kicked and not nearly as sick as you thought it was. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that wasn't a great story for today. Okay? So there's a time, there's a time, even with animals when they're sick, we, we can put them out of discomfort and, and their uncomfortableness. Okay? So a time to kill and a time to heal. Sometimes healing is not an option. Sometimes it is. And we go to all the trouble and the effort that we can to make that happen within our ability. Sometimes that is not a, a possibility. All right? So the next thing we see, a time to tear down and a time to build up. Um, you know, there's a time to add new things. There's a time for growth. There's a time for expansion. There's a time to build new homes. There's a time to do new things. Uh, but also, we know that sometimes things outlive their, their usefulness and buildings need to be torn down and, and, and that kind of thing. I think there's also a spiritual application to this passage, a time to tear up, a tear down, and a time to build up. I think as Christians, we are charged with encouraging one another. With, with building one another, one another up in, in the faith. I think there's also, and I wouldn't use the word tear down here, but there's a way that we can approach those who are doing things that are wrong in love according to Scripture and make sure that we help them understand the things that they are doing are not what God would have them to do. Again, I don't like the word tear down there because that's not the, that's not the actual spiritual application that we should be going for but it's okay to correct. It's okay to, to help others see when they're doing things that aren't correct. Okay, so tear down and build up. The next two I kind of lump together because to me they, they belong together. The next two, he says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. You know, this is, this is really simple, right? This is, this is not rocket science. There are times in our life when we all go through times of celebration. We all go through those times of joy. We have weddings, we have graduations, we have births, we, have, we, we take new jobs, we, we meet new people, and those things are worth celebrating. We, we laugh, we rejoice over those things that take place in our life because they're good. Now here's, here's, my, here's my instruction, here's what I take from this. When God gives you something good, rejoice in it. You know, He says here there's a time to... Um, Laugh and a time to dance. Now, we're Baptists. We struggle with that last one, right? The dancing part. But there's a time to rejoice. I think both of those can be summed up together. Don't miss it. 
Don't miss out on an opportunity to rejoice in what God has done for you. There's also the opposite side of that. There's time, he says, there's time to weep and there's time to mourn. We all have moments of sadness. We all go to funerals. We all lose or change jobs. And we all have relationships that run out. I have tried to explain to my kids over the last few years, as they get older, their relationships are going to change. You know, in high school, you think, well, these are the people that are going to be my friends for life. And look, I I had a graduating class of nearly 400 at Enterprise High School. You know how many of those people I stay in contact with? Pretty close to zero. Pretty close to zero. I mean, I got got a couple that I follow on Facebook, might send a message every once in a while. But I mean, acquaintances. Acquaintances. College people, people that I went to college with, right? I I, I tend to, to lean towards those people more. Some of those people that were in our wedding, that were involved in those meaningful moments of life, I, I tend to have more of those. But, you know, every time you, you know, for us, every time we've moved, we make new friends and new acquaintances. And there's a time to rejoice in those friendships, but there's also a time when relationships come to an end. You have people that used to be your dearest and closest friends and, and through any number, I mean, I'm not saying something bad happened. Sometimes we just grow apart as friends. My best friend as a kid was a guy named Andy Lavender. We were the closest. We were, we were, we were, man, we were like this. We spent the night at each other's house. We played wiffle ball. We played computer. We did all kind. We traded baseball cards. We did all kind of stuff together until tenth grade. From like second grade through ninth grade, we were we were this. And I, you know, we didn't get mad at each other. We didn't. We didn't, like, he didn't steal my girl, and I didn't, I didn't, you know, beat up his, you know, little brother. I mean, we, we didn't have that. Just, we just kind of drifted apart. It's fine. Saw him a few years ago. We, when we, we hugged it out, and we talked for a minute, and then we went back apart again, right? I mean, so it just happens, right? There's a time for relationships to come into our life, and there's times for them to go away. And that's just, that's part of the weeping and laughing and mourning and dancing. All right, now, let's move on to the next one. We're into verse 5, and I'm, I got to hurry. I got to speed up. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Now, again, this is not one of those that he's given you a license. This actually dealt in, in this context, in this, what, this, this is an agricultural statement, okay? So, a time to throw stones, the way that they, when they had an enemy back in this culture, they would go to the field where they were growing whatever it is they grew, and they would throw as many rocks and stones out in that field as they could throw. It made plowing difficult. It made growing things difficult. I mean, when rocks are in the way, it made it difficult. So this was part of their way of sort of getting back at their enemy. Okay? There's also, if you want things to grow, there's a time, he says, not just to throw stones, but a time to pick up stones. So if you want things to, 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 to flourish and grow, then you've got to go out and remove those stones and look, that's symbolic of a lot of things, right? That's not just talking about Jewish culture and how they dealt with each other as enemies. We're talking about that's, that's symbolic of a lot of ways. If you want to tear somebody down, throw stones. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about in a, in a, in a matter of, you know, just a bigger speech way. You want, to, you want to tear somebody down. You want to cause a problem. Start throwing stones. Start casting stones. And if you don't, if you want to make things better, Pick up those stones and, and get rid of them. I, it's, 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 that's a simple thing to, to talk about. The next one he says is to embrace and to shun 
embracing. Now, this was, this was kind of strange to me. All right, so embracing, there's a time to, to embrace friends. There's a time to enjoy relationships, those people that God puts in your life. But it also kind of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Sometimes you have to cut ties with people. Um, sometimes it happens naturally. Sometimes it has to be by choice. Uh, sometimes things happen where you just, you have to say, look, if, if that's the way we're going to feel and I feel one way and you feel another way, then we're just going to have to agree to disagree and go our separate ways. Um, and I think the reason for that, the reason for that instruction is when we don't cut ties with those people, they have a tendency to drag us down and separate us from where we need to be. And so he's saying sometimes it's okay to, to, to embrace, to, to run towards those relationships and to enjoy them, but sometimes when they're separating you from God, from separating you from where you need to be, you need to stay away from those things. You know, we go through, so we go through several here. Searching and giving up is lost. Um, sometimes, y'all, things are just lost. You know, the guy, guy in the commentary, excuse me, told a story about remotes. They had they'd lost three remotes in their house, and they'd literally been looking for years for those remotes. Like every once in a while, it just got under their skin, and they would continue looking. And the thing is, those things were gone. They've looked literally everywhere, and now what are they doing when they continue to look for something that they cannot find? What are they doing? They're wasting time. They're spending time doing that, which is going to serve no purpose when they could be doing something else. That is, sometimes it's okay to search. You know, again, we could probably put a spiritual application on this too, right? Sometimes people are right on the cusp and it's, it's, it's up to us, right, to make sure we're witnessing for Christ and living for Christ and making a difference for Christ in, their, in those lives. But now there are people that you know good and well, they've hardened their hearts to the point that really about all you can do at this point is just continue to pray for them. All you can do is to continue to pray for them. A time, a time to... Um, Search and a time to give up is lost. Now we we kind of this next one to me. There's a couple here that kind of meddle a little bit in our in our lives. The next one is a time to keep and a time to throw away. And look, I don't know if this is just a don't hoard statement. I don't know exactly what what level of depth he's going for here. But you know, we probably could we probably could. We probably could talk about this one for a few minutes, right? We keep things, we hold on to things. They, they, when we do that, sometimes they take too much importance in our lives when they shouldn't have that importance. I'm not talking about everything. I'm, there's things that are okay to keep because they're sentimental and they mean something. But when you keep everything, when when everything, what it what it does in that moment is it becomes something that distracts you from the things that are truly meaningful. Hoarders, yeah. I mean, they, they, this is such a bad epidemic that a few years ago they even put made a TV show about people that you like you couldn't walk through their house that they literally kept bottle caps from bottles that they drank, you know, years ago, and magazines and newspapers that came and toilet paper and paper towel roll. I, I well, I wasn't gonna go that far, but you're probably not wrong. It probably is a mental illness, something that 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 requires them. To do that, but y'all, it's okay. Not every I wrote down. Not everything in life is a keeper. Not everything in life is a keeper, and you know that can apply in a lot of ways, right? That doesn't just have to mean stuff. That can again, that kind of goes back to the last one with with friends and, and relationships. All right, the next one he says, "There's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together." All right, 
So this statement most likely tied together with the, uh, the Jewish custom when there was times of grief and mourning and repentance. What did they do to their clothes? They'd literally tear them. It was a sign of anguish. It was a, time, a sign of uh, grief and mourning and just being broken over whatever it was that was going on in their life. But while there is a time for tearing, what does he also say? There is a time for sowing. And I think what Solomon is trying to tell us here is it's fine to grieve. It's, it's proper to grieve. It's proper to mourn. It's proper certainly to repent of those things that you've done in your life that, that, you have, that have separated you from a relationship with God. But when he says there's a time to sow, what's he saying? I think he's simply saying there's a time to begin the process of moving on. And look, that's different for every single individual in every single situation, right? But there's a time when you have grieved. There's a time when you have mourned. And there's a time when you have repented. And the sowing together indicates a beginning of... And moving on sounds so harsh in some circumstances. And I don't, I don't know another way to say it. Or I would say it in what, what I think would be a nicer way. But there, it's a time... It's a new beginning. It's a, it's a rebirth. It's a starting over. Because every, while there is a time to grieve and mourn and repent, there's also, he says, a time to begin that process uh, of starting over. You can't, you can't grieve. We're not supposed to grieve and mourn for our entire lives. We're supposed to, to get back on the right track. Alright? Now here's a good one. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Solomon in, in the book of Proverbs writes a lot about silence. You, you've heard the old, the old proverb that goes along the lines of it's better to keep your mouth shut and let them wonder if you're a fool than to open your mouth and prove that you are kind of thought. Right? Sometimes we can just talk. I, Jennifer and I talk all the time. We, I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly aware when people say things in public that they shouldn't say. And I notice it a lot because I'm a person who speaks in public and I have this massive fear. And it goes back to very early on in my ministry when we were having a fifth Sunday night sang. Y'all, y'all ever been to one of those? We were having a fifth Sunday night singing. And look, I didn't, I didn't do my homework. This girl was coming to sing and I didn't know her name. I didn't know anything about her. And I basically stood up and said, hey, we got um, this girl, this, this, she's going to come sing. And it, I don't have any idea who she is, but it's going to be great. And I, I walked, and everybody, fortunately, everybody laughed. They thought it was funny. And I'm sitting there going, what an idiot. But now, I've said a lot of things because I, I stand in front of people with a microphone a lot. I've said things that I regretted saying, right? And sometimes it'll just be better to say nothing. The most awkward situation in all of life to me is that funeral home line. Y'all ever been through that? And you, you walk up to people and you have no, those people, there's nothing, you, there's no great big massive words of wisdom you're going to share with them to tell them that's going to make them feel better. And like you're not going to walk up to somebody who's just lost uh, you know, a, a family member and go, yeah, and they're going to go, wow, I feel so much better. Thank you for sharing that. Right? So my, my general role, when I, I say as little as I can say when I go through that line. Sorry for your loss. Praying for you. Because anything else I'm going to say is just going to be misconstrued or it's not going to be right or it's, I've said the wrong thing. As little as I can say going through that line is what I'm... Why? Because sometimes there's a time to be silent. 
Sometimes presence is enough without having to say something, right? No. I, no. No. I've heard that a bunch. And I will, I will make this personal about me when my grandmother passed away. I heard that probably 25 times in her casket. Oh, she looks so natural. No. No, she doesn't. That's, that's not how she looked, you know, 10 days ago. I, there's, sometimes saying nothing is better than saying something. I, I, one last story on this, and I'll move on because I'm running out of time. I went to, I made a, a visit to, to a family who the person was about to pass away, and I got to the hospital, and I opened the door to the room, and I bet you there was 30 people in that room. Again, nothing that I can do or say in that moment. You know what I did? I opened the door, and I moved up against the wall, and I just stood there. And after about 10 minutes, somebody finally spoke and acknowledged that I was there. And afterwards, somebody said, thank you for, for just being there. I said, well, I didn't really do anything, because I really didn't. I, I mean, I really just showed up, stood against the light switch on the wall. And at the end, when they asked me to pray, I prayed. And I said, look, you didn't need to say anything. We saw that you were there, and that was enough. Time silence is the best thing. I'm going to give you an example, and this is so funny to me. Uh, a few years ago, there was a comedian named Ron White. He was on the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Um, he was clean-ish on that. I went and tried to, to, to check him out after that. He's not clean, so don't, don't listen to anything he says. But this is funny, right? He was telling the story in one of, in one of the Blue Collar things where he was, he was in, in, in a bar, which he shouldn't have been, and he was having a drink, which he shouldn't have been. It's a terrible story to share in church. I, I apologize. And so the punchline is, is the cops had to come and throw him out. And as they're arresting him, they get, went through the, you know, you have the right to remain silent. And his response was, I have the right, but I don't have the ability. It's a great punchline, but that, that is, there. you know that person. You know that person, right? They have the right to be silent, but they don't have the ability. Sometimes y'all the best. And look, there, there's times we need to be aggressive with what we say, and we need to defend certain things. I'm, I'm certainly in, in favor of that. There's sometimes it's right to be silent, just to not say anything, right? That was that, I felt like that was kind of personal, so I kind of that one that one hit me hard. Uh, he says there's a time to love and a time to hate. And look, look, y'all, if we're to be like Christ, we have to love. If we're going to be like Christ, we have to love. We have to love people who aren't lovable. We have to love people who are lovable. If we're going to be like Christ, this time to love has to be most all the time. Now, which leads us to the next statement. If there's a time to love, there's a time to hate. What are we to hate? The answer is sin. The answer is this, y'all. We're to hate the things that God hates. And if God hates it, we're supposed to hate it. Sin, if we, it, the things of the world. If God says that He hates it, our job as believers is to hate it. To not fall in love with it. To not get in line with it. To not chase after things that God hates. Right? But now here's the thing. If you can find a place in Scripture, you can bring it to me and show it to me. I don't think you'll find a place in Scripture where God hated a person. Right? I may be wrong. I may be wrong. Y'all go look. Y'all prove me. Y'all come show me if you find it. I don't think you'll find a place in Scripture where God 
looked at a person, an individual, and said, boy, I just hate that person. He hated what they did. He may have hated their actions. He hated the things that the world were doing and caused, and he, and he made Noah build a boat, right? He wiped out everybody. There was punishment for what they'd done, but it never says that he hated those people. Judas, it never says that he hated Judas, which our instruction in that, y'all, is we can't hate another person. That, that statement of, 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 of hate the sin but love the sinner, that sounds cliche or whatever, but that's God's command. There's a time to love and there's a time to hate. We're to hate what God hates. We're to love what God loves. It's really that simple. It really, it, it really is that simple, y'all. And then the last one, there's a time for war and a time for peace. Y'all, y'all can go home and turn on Fox News today and see... At a minimum of two wars going on around our world right now, and there's probably more. There's probably smaller ones, smaller skirmishes, things going on that we don't know about. But we certainly know that, that, that there's, there's, there's things going on in Israel. We certainly know that there's things going on between Russia and uh, that part of the world over there, right? And it's just, I believe there's a time for it. I believe there's a time to do the right thing and stand up. And sometimes standing up for the right thing means you have to fight for it. I believe our becoming a country is a perfect example of that. The defending our, our rights and our liberties was a thing that I think was necessary. But now, the Bible also says, the Bible also says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So while there may be a time for war, there may be a time to fight, your command, your instruction, my instruction as a believer is that I'm supposed to do everything within my ability to live at peace with those around me. That's what, that's what God tells us to do. That's what Christ has instructed us to do. Now, he finishes up verses 9 and 10. He says this, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? You know, and there's several things there we talked about, right? Where, where work goes in. There's, there's building and there's, there's throwing, there's, there's gathering stones and there's planning, and there's uprooting. There's things that those. There's time that goes into that. And he says, "What profit is there to a worker from that which he toils?" And then he he says, basically, he concludes in verse ten, "I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men, with which to occupy themselves." Solomon's seen it all. Solomon has concluded that all of these things are going to happen to everybody. But without God, your life is pointless. We seek meaning in all the activities and, and yet we still can walk away empty. What profit is there? Jesus said in Matthew, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Solomon's basically saying the same thing here, y'all. The Spirit has prompted Solomon to, to, to write this to teach us that we should strive for God. Because he's, he's telling you, he look, he's told you, we've been now, this is week seven, we got lots of weeks to go, and the message is still going to be pretty much the same every week. If you're trying to live without God, you're, you're, you're wasting your time. It's pointless. It's meaningless. But the beauty is now, he has introduced God. God is a character in this story now. And so we have to focus on that. We have to focus on him throughout the remainder of this story. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. 
If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.